Hello, and welcome to Banking Transform. I'm your host, Jim Roos, founder and CEO of the Digital Bank Report and co-publisher of the Financial Brand. Banking as a service provides a great opportunity for existing financial institutions to reach a greater number of customers at a lower cost by teaming up with non-traditional financial and non-financial businesses. It's expected that the BASS model will become a new battleground for both established banks and digital challengers as the model has the potential to generate new revenue growth for both financial and non-financial businesses. The question becomes, will legacy banks become a distributor of financial services, a producer of them, or both? I am joined today on the Banking Transform podcast by Matt Smith, Head of Digital Banking and Banking as a Service at Webster Bank. Matt will discuss why Webster Bank has decided to pursue the BASS strategy and the success of the strategy to date. So welcome to the show, Matt. You know, banking as a service has become a very powerful vehicle for innovation and revenue growth, especially as traditional financial institutions support the distribution of financial services across a variety of verticals. You know, many organizations are still at the very early stages of, of development and thinking about banking as a service, discussing the role that they'll play in the future of finance. Webster Bank, however, has already embraced this potential of a BASS model. So before we begin, Matt, can you share a little bit about your journey up to this point and, and what you've been doing in financial services before uh, you joined uh, Webster? Yeah, so uh, thank you so much for having me, Jim. I'm a big fan of the show, so I appreciate the, uh, the invitation to come and, and chat with you a bit. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm Matthew Smith. I'm responsible for um, all digital banking innovation as well as um, banking as a service and, and um, our digital bank P&L channel um, for Webster Bank, right, which was uh, on, I was formerly on the Sterling National Bank side and we just completed a merger earlier this year. Um, you know, it's an exciting time for me personally. I, I've, I've kind of had a, a long journey within financial services. I, I started out working at um uh, GE Capital, where I had a number of different roles that range from, you know, FP&A leadership, corporate restructuring, operations, data, uh, and started to dip my toe in, in the technology world when I went over to uh, to Bridgewater, which is a, a large hedge fund that's located in Westport, uh, where I, I kind of uh, ran finance technology, right, where we were, um, uh, you know, kind of looking to do things like cloud migration and a bunch of other innovative things. I was I was representing it from a finance side, uh, but learned a lot about the business, learned a lot about technology, and then made my way over to Sterling, where uh, I ended up uh, being our chief marketing officer and, and head of uh, product innovation. Um, and through doing that, we we launched our first digital bank, which was called uh, Brio Direct. I had had some experience uh, launching banks when I was at GE Capital. We, we did GE Capital Bank, which is now Marcus by Goldman. Um, so I was excited to kind of have some success uh, at Sterling. And we kind of started thinking differently about the world once that kind of uh, broke out. And it got us out of thinking about physical distribution channels and really focusing more on digital, which then spawned the, the concept of branching out into banking as a service. So excited about that. You know, it's interesting. We met at an event down in Miami in January, and we discussed the transformation you were then going through with the combination of Webster and Sterling Bank. What was interesting to me was both banks are, are mid-sized, small mid-sized banks in the same region, but both banks were really focused on becoming digital banks as well as supporting banking as a service. Can you explain some of the differences, if there were any, between the way the two organizations approached banking as a service? 
Yeah, I think so. What's what's interesting is I would say technically Webster didn't have a vast business, right? I think they were intrigued by the concept of it. What they were kind of doing, at least from 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 my perspective, was focusing on trying to build an infrastructure, right? And the infrastructure could be used to take on more of the client experience, right, and 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 own more of the source code. And in doing so would give them the ability to scale into multiple different businesses, right? Whether that be banking as a service or, or even other things from a consumer and, and commercial perspective. I think on the Sterling side, we were going through a digital transformation, right? We had kicked off many projects um, and banking as a service was going to be our primary growth engine, right? And what we were looking at was uh, a, a way that we could basically find new use cases for existing banking services that we provide, right? And we saw an opportunity within the space. We felt that there were uh, a big gap between the Goldman's of the world and sort of like the meta banks and evolved banks of the world. Um, and we thought we could slot right in the middle where we, we have an optimal mix of, you know, good products and services, but really focusing more on a relationship um, value proposition, right? And we can talk more about that as, as the, the conversation goes on. So in our research, we have found that the biggest hurdle to success with digital banking transformation has been top management support of the process and building mm -hmm. a culture that supports the development of a digital bank. How have your organizations and your organization now as one really dealt with this challenge? What, what do you see yeah. as your leadership's guidance in the overall organization? Because it's a, it's a heavy load. It's not an easy process. Yeah, I think so. Your your point is spot on, right? What's What's interesting is prior to the merger, our CEO Jack Kopniski was very supportive of the work that we were looking to to do, and 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 made it a priority to kind of drive that down the organization. As you know, building a vast business is not just about technology; it's about the controls that you have in place from from a risk and, and compliance perspective, right? And so, getting partners like our friends in risk and compliance getting our technology teams, getting our operations team to lock arms with us as we go on that journey was was really big, right? And I think he was instrumental in kind of driving that messaging and our president at the time, Luis Massiani, who's, who's now the COO of the Combined Bank, uh, echoed that sentiment and been a, a huge supporter of it. What was interesting is going into the merger, one of the things you always selfishly think about is like, hey, are you really going to support this business, right? What you just said. And our, our new CEO, uh, which was Legacy uh, Webster's uh, CEO, John Ciula, uh, literally every press conference, uh, even merger announcements, talks about the pillars of growth and banking as a service being one of them, right? So I think him saying that, making that declaration to the street, um, and then reinforcing that through internal conversations that we've had at the leadership level uh, has given us an opportunity to be able to be successful in this space. So I think both sides are really committed to it. Now that we're a combined organization, we've got the scale to be able to do some really great things. Um, and it's been nothing but reinforced by the EMC that we have uh, on, on our side. So we're very excited about it. So it's interesting. You know, it goes without saying that 98, 99% of the financial institutions aren't in the top 10, and they're not in the bottom 10. So you got this mass middle, both at Sterling and now at Webster. What have been some of the biggest challenges you've needed to address in the journey, not only become a stronger digital bank and provide digital banking services, but in the banking as a service journey? Yeah, it's a great question, right? I, I would say the number one thing is um, recognizing that this is an ever-changing regulatory landscape, right? And um, 
And in doing that, you've got to procure some folks that really understand that space um, and, and not be bullish about it, right? I think we really took a step back and said, okay, what are the foundational elements that we need to put in place? We recognize that there are things that we're going to evolve in our tech stack over time that's going to help us be better BAS providers. The big thing that we were concerned about more so than that was, do we have the regulatory and compliance foundation to be able to support these things? Uh, we're regulated by the OCC. We were before we are now. Um, and, and, and kind of coming into those conversations, it was really about demonstrating that we've got a comprehensive playbook that takes us from assessing an opportunity through diligence, through signing an MSA, through onboarding, and then post-integration um, post, uh, monitoring. Um, and, and having that foundation in place, getting that reviewed by the regulators, having the right people and the right controls was was really instrumental, right? I mean, we spent a lot of time really focusing on that. From a tech perspective in parallel, obviously we need to figure out how to solution, right? And there's always going to be limitations, especially if you're working with like a major core provider, right? So it's partnering with them to figure out what can we do to provide a best-in-class solution that's going to enable time to market and quality. Um, and then I think going forward, we're being strategic and tactical, right? What are the things that we're going to need to replace or do differently in order for us to be able to scale to, you know, multiple partnerships? Obviously, we like to get to the place where we're doing, you know, 14, 15 implementations a year. Uh, to do that, it's going to require both the process that I, I, I aforementioned as well as the tech stack to be able to support those types of, of, of scaling. So it's interesting. When we were talking to each other in when we were both in Miami, you know, you mentioned also the regulatory issues. And we talked about the fact that at your organization, you're almost ahead of the curve and ahead of where the regulators really are. You know, I, I kid about the fact that regulators are the oldest and most legacy bankers, so they're really hard to bring along. Yeah. How does your organization not just I'm going to say not just play by the rules. I don't mean you're playing against rules, but stay within the tight confines of the rules as they were written before, while at the same time pushing the model forward in a way that's still in the interest of what the regulators are trying to achieve, but may not be documented specifically. Yeah, I think we so we really put risk first, right? Like we, we think about that, you know, and we take it very seriously. We've got a group of folks that are kind of liaisons to us from a second line perspective. I actually built out a first line risk team that's within my team to be able to do um, a lot of the foundational work to, to build out this infrastructure to support this. But I think, it, you know, it's funny, like you say, we're ahead. You never really feel like you're ahead, right? You always feel like you're a little behind, right? And so I think thinking of it that way kind of always keeps us on our toes, right? What could we be doing differently? How are we thinking about these things? I also think our, our, um, risk first mindset and, and the ability to kind of have deep conversations with our regulators has been really helpful, right? Like we're not just like doing stuff and then asking for permission, right? We're actively going to them with ideas and we're looking to kind of partner to figure out what's the best way to solve for it. And I think in taking that as an approach and learning from mistakes of others, right? Obviously we're always looking at the news, what's going on, what are some things we need to watch out for? Uh, the combination of all those things has put us in a position to be successful and, and, uh, and hopefully we'll yield dividends for, uh, for years to come. So as you've gone through this journey of building a digital bank and supporting the BASS model, what areas of your organization have needed the most focus to become a leader in both digital and banking as a service? Has it been product development, the use of data, maybe your back office operations or technology? 
What areas need the most change in what you, where you were versus where you need to be? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think we, what we did was we carved this out as a line of business, which I think is a really important step, right? We didn't just try and jam this into to another place. And I think in doing so, we were very consistent and methodical about how we approached the, 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 the support model for this, right? So on my team, we've got dedicated folks that run everything from relationship management, which I think obviously is a, a key differentiator for us. I mentioned before, we're not necessarily as focused on just offering products in this space. We're actually looking at partnering, right? What are ways that we can expand the relationship um, to us providing services, to us providing consultative services with regards to risk and compliance, uh, for us consuming products and services in our environment, right, in a, in a platform banking type of approach or an embedded finance type of approach, uh, making strategic investments in some companies, right? I think that's a key differentiator for us. So, so we really put an infrastructure to be able to say we've got, you know, kind of relationship management, we've got um, project management, we've got business process optimization, client delivery, um, and, and all of those first line risk functions that I mentioned before that sit within my group, right? Which gives, gives me a span of control to be able to operate a little bit independent of, you know, some of the areas that potentially don't know as much about this particular business. And then we've got within each of the functional groups, right? Risk, compliance, legal, um, you know, other areas like operations, we've got groups that are dedicated to kind of focusing on the work that we're doing, which means they can hone in on this particular business. They understand it. They know what we're looking to do. They can help us solve it. Even from a uh, product management perspective, we've got a a key liaison that helps us coordinate across, you know, payments, receivables, and other types of of products. So it's really, we built an ecosystem, right? And we've got everybody working together, understanding their roles, understanding the business, and really setting this up for success. Uh, what I've seen in other places is if you try and jam this into like, hey, we just want to do a couple of deals, we'll figure it out, right? It's, it, it doesn't really work that way, right? You've got to have a good infrastructure to be able to support it. And I think that's why we were able to see so much success uh, coming out of the gate for this particular business. So this is really a completely different business model than traditional banking. I've, I've written a number of articles for the financial brand around the importance of including employees in the process of becoming more of a digital banking organization. How do you engage employees in the process of both the digital banking organization as well as supporting banking as a service? What what tools do you provide to them to empower them more fully? Yeah, I mean, well, the first thing is, you know, you got voice of the customer and then you, you use things like NPS, right, and other scores to kind of help you drive you know, what's the feedback that you're getting and then, and, then, and then making adjustments, but that's the external customer. The internal customer is actually quite interesting approach that we've taken. Um, we're constantly talking to each other, right? We're, we're, we're setting up councils, we're convening as groups, right? And we do a lot of group think. I think what's interesting is you can go to organizations, you have like one or two folks that kind of make decisions. What's nice about what we've kind of built is we've kind of set up these individualized councils where we're all getting together, we're talking about what makes the most sense, both from a prioritization perspective, as well as, you know, gathering new ideas to be able to allocate resources and capital to achieve our goals, right? And so what's nice is, you know, we're not looking at like, you know, a marketing team as like a utility, right? Like, hey, I just want you to, you know, do the thing that I'm asking you to do, or we're looking at a product team as a utility, I just want you to do the thing I'm asking you to. We're actively bringing people into the fold and we're saying, give me your ideas, let's talk about this, let's have some group think. Um, and I think that approach has yielded a lot of dividends, right? If you look at what we've done 
on the digital bank side, um, and this is a little bit outside of banking as a service, we've made tremendous improvements both to our client experience from an onboarding perspective, right? So folks that are looking to bring in a deposit account through Brio Direct um, and and even our backend servicing application, launching a brand new mobile application with all the best features, bells and whistles, and then consistently looking to optimize those experiences has been a really big thing. I was actually talking to somebody the other day about how we've got a group of people that are just looking at performance, right? And, and we're saying, hey, how is this working both from a client experience perspective? Can we get some feedback from folks that are boots on the ground, right, that are actively looking at these experiences over time? And, and it was funny, they kind of called it a luxury. And I was like, I think it's a normal course of business, right? This is, this is how we think about the world. And we need to constantly be measuring and talking to ourselves and figuring out what's the best way that we can improve and optimize the experiences to deliver the best possible client experience that we can uh, to drive and deepen relationships with, uh, with our existing customers and then acquire new. You know, you, you said it well that, you know, it really gets down to the experience. And, you know, we talked about it when we were together that that I, I call some of this stuff faking digital, where you offer products yeah. on digital channels. But if it takes 10 minutes or 12 minutes or 15 minutes to open a new account or to apply for a new loan, you're, you're really not providing a digital experience. Mm-hmm. How has your organization removed the friction and simplified digital engagement? Because if you're going to have a digital bank, and you're going to support banking and a service, you can't be the slowest player out there. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a really big thing, right? I, I think you're right. I call that the veneer approach, right? You put a digital front end on it, and then, you know, in the back, you've got a bunch of people running around doing manual processes to enable it. That's not what we want to do, right? I, I've been kind of challenging the folks internally to think holistically about experiences, right? You want to create an experience that starts with a digital impression or some sort of marketing and then guides people all the way through a seamless process that expeditiously moves them through it, right, successfully. uh, And at the same time, uh, provides a really best in class, you know, kind of look and feel, right? And so from our standpoint, we actually put a client experience person in the fold, right, when we're talking about what we're going to build out and we're thinking holistically about the solution, right? So you can use Agile. And I think sometimes what happens with Agile is you get focused on delivering MVPs and then you're done and you move on to the next thing, right? I think with us, what we're looking to do is scope out second, third, fourth phases of the project, make sure we keep our eye on the prize. And it's a living thing, right? We're always looking to optimize. We're always looking to kind of continue down that path of, of making the experience better. Um, and I think to do that, it takes a big commitment, right? It takes staffing commitment. It takes tooling, right? It takes the ability to be able to, to kind of assess the situation and, uh, and, and quickly course correct, right? And make adjustments that are going to yield the best results for you and your customer. You know, after looking at leadership and culture, Probably the second biggest challenge in digital banking transformation is, is maybe not just working on the back office, but really using data and analytics to build better experiences, to build those proactive notifications to customers, to actually look from a customer's perspective as opposed to a product's perspective. Mm-hmm. How is Webster Bank addressing these issues with regard to using data and analytics more powerfully towards an experience? Yeah, I think so. It goes back to my point about setting up an infrastructure for you to be able to gain insights, right? So the decisions that we make are based on data, right? Full stop, right? Yes, there's gut feel stuff like, hey, this thing looks like it's providing some friction, but we're validating those things based on the data, right? Where are we seeing drop off? What's the pull through rate, right? Where are areas of improvement that we can see, right? We know if we look at 
um, you know, KYC verification and we're getting massive amount of drop off, right? The data is going to tell us what's going wrong in the client experience, right? I think same thing if you think about servicing applications. I think some of the, the mistakes that people make are they launch these things and then you don't look at how it's performing, right? So are you getting digital adoption, right? People just downloading your app and actually using it, right? Where are they using it the most? Where are they using it the least, right? Are they having issues enrolling in specific products and services? All of that data, we've set up an infrastructure for us to be able to consume and make decisions, right? And what's interesting about that is I think it, it not only does it help you with regards to like building a better client experience, it actually helps you draw in clients as well, right? If you think about marketing optimization, right? That's all data, right? Most of what we're doing is we're examining how a thing is working and then we're course correcting in the moment, right? Saying this thing is working great. Let's keep that going. We'll monitor it. This thing is not working well. And then we need to make adjustments. But I think the big mistake that I find within the industry is not taking into consideration the power that the data will give you, right? And then using that to make the best possible decisions. And you're always going to have to prioritize, right? I think as, as an organization, you know, you, you can't do everything, right? You're not going to have an endless supply of, of, uh, of resources and capital to be able to do every single thing that you want. But I think using data, you can really see where you're going to get the biggest influence and the biggest bang for your buck, which enables you to make the best possible decisions, again, for your clients. So when Webster Bank and, and, and Sterling before that looked at banking as a service, do you see this as more of a distribution play to be able to distribute your services to a broader array of, of customers? Or was it more of a revenue play where you were able to actually generate revenue from your partners? Yeah, I think it was more, it, it was twofold, right? I think um, for us, we at the time, we were looking for alternative ways to gather deposits, right? That was our that was our initial use case. I mean, what we've learned is that this is, this is much broader than that, right? There's a tremendous amount of opportunity, both in the fee income space, as well as if you want to branch into lending, right? I think there's a lot of different opportunities and we're exploring all of that. Original use case was really more about deposits. What was interesting about banking as a service, and I, I, I explain this internally a lot, which is you're not doing anything that's like, so vastly new, it's just a different application of what you already do, right? So we provide deposit products, right, to businesses. We provide deposit products to consumers, right? Like that is not a thing that's foreign. What's foreign for us is having somebody else be the front end of it, right? And basically, if you look at it from a regulatory lens, you're outsourcing parts of your operation. So even though our client is the fintech, right, and we're providing end services to their clients, right? So it's kind of a two-party hop. Um, from a regulatory perspective, it's our client, right? And and we're actually outsourcing major parts of our responsibility to a fintech. So what we had to do in order to launch that business was get comfortable with that model and put an infrastructure in place that enabled us to do the necessary reviews to ensure that our partner could fulfill that obligation as if they were doing it like we would, right? And once you have that, once you understand that role, it makes it quite easy for you to scale the business because you're looking at it from the same lens every time, right? Are you able to fulfill these obligations? What does your technology look like? How do we put the proper controls and ongoing monitoring in place to make sure that you can do this? Outside of that, if you think about it from a funding source perspective, and even from a fee income perspective, it's quite lucrative for the bank, right? So it's, it's, a, it's a two-pronged approach, right? We get to apply a different use case to a thing that we're already comfortable doing, uh, and at the same time, we're able to expand it to a sizable deposit and fee income gathering uh, machine for us to to kind of grow as 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 we get bigger. 
So it's interesting. When you jump into this space of banking as a service, you can't stay who you are today forever because mm -hmm. the real benefit is in expanding your services, expanding the capabilities and delivering things more efficiently. Our research saw, show, has seen that during the digital transformation process, since there's so many priorities, that innovation sometimes tends to take a back seat. Well, this is really not available to an organization like yours where you're gonna really have to keep on creating new ways of partnering with the, the organizations you partner with. So how do you keep innovation as a top priority within your organization? And how do you keep people over the entire organization involved in innovation? Yeah, well, so, you know, we talked about organizational design earlier. I think one of the best decisions that we made as a combined organization was to create a chief innovation officer role, right? So my my lines of businesses that I'm responsible for report into the chief innovation officer. Um, her name is B. Ordona. She is a, a, an amazing and dynamic leader, right? And what what's great about that is you have a person whose sole responsibility is to advocate for innovation across the company. And that's not just saying the stuff that we're doing in Bass, right? It's it's digital innovation. It's the stuff we're doing in transformation. We're looking at a lot of different uh, ways that we can implement blockchain use cases. Um, she's responsible for that. She's responsible for business development. She's responsible for product. She's responsible for marketing. All of these functions sit within her. And I think what's great about that is she's able to kind of bridge the gap across multiple functions that should be innovating, right? Product marketing, you know, these lines of businesses that I run, digital innovation, transformation, and having someone at that level, right, be able to kind of be an advocate across the organization helps us get the word out, right? And so we're, we're actively doing town halls, we're talking with different folks across the organization, getting people involved. I can't tell you how many times her and I or or me, her, and, and our head of transformation, a gentleman named Derek Green, who's also dynamic and fantastic. Um, we've had, you know, just individual conversations with like the head of operations and, and some of his direct reports or the folks in risk and compliance or the folks in legal or other teams, right? I get all the time invitations from HR or other groups where they're like, hey, we're having a staff meeting. Could you come and talk about some of the things that you're doing? And I think that's building a culture, right? So us setting it up that way enables us, one, to carve out a group that is kind of immune from things like core conversion and some of the things that can be like, you know, very overbearing within uh, a merger um, and really gives us the opportunity to flex and, and be innovative uh, without the distraction, right? Without the without the, the competing priorities, right? And I, I think, yes, you always have situations where you can't do everything. But what's nice about it is we're not saying like, hey, because we're busy doing you know, a conversion and we have to focus on these fundamental things, we're not going to innovate for the next two years. We actually set up a team that's separate uh, for us to be able to focus on that, which I think was a, a very smart move by uh, our leadership team and, and, and thankful for it. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Microsoft. See how Microsoft can help unlock new opportunities at speed and scale through innovative business processes, delivering differentiated customer experiences across channels, innovating new products and services, and redefining new ways of thinking. Find out more at Microsoft.com backslash financial services. So Matt, as opposed to a traditional bank who've owned the entire value chain, 
A lot of banking and service players often focus on only one or two stages of the value chain, from being a provider to maybe an aggregator to distributor or some variation of those themes. Where do you see Webster falling today and where do you maybe see it falling in the future if it's going to be different than that? Yeah, I think, you know, it's an interesting question, right? I I was pretty opposed from the beginning to taking just a product-centric approach to this, right? Because I think that that ends up being a value proposition that's just based on like me providing a single service, right? What I think is really great about what we build, and I kind of alluded to it earlier, is we've really taken more of a partnership approach, right? And we, we use that term very uh very specifically, right? Because we're we're actively looking for ways that we can partner holistically in a relationship. And by doing that, I think it provides a different level of value proposition for us, right? Especially within this space, because we're not just looking to sell you a thing, right? What we're actually looking is to figure out what's your needs, right? And partner with you to help you grow your business, right? Full stop. I think where where we could evolve, right, to kind of take on more parts of that is um, exactly what I kind of alluded to before is what are other ways that we can expand on these relationships, right? One of the ways that I think has been really nice is um, looking at and assessing the technology that's being provided by these fintechs and then looking for an opportunity for us to embed that finance or embed that that um, that experience into our own to provide an expansion of products and services to our own clients, right? So now not only are we providing the backend operations for them, there's a there's a, a return for us, right, where we're actually getting access to a product or services that, w- that would have taken us either a really long time to develop, or in a lot of cases, it's a thing that we potentially don't want exposure from a, from a balance sheet perspective, right? So it allows us to kind of build on those experiences. I also think our ability to be able to make, um, you know, potential equity investments in some of these companies is really big, right? So holistically, I do think that you know, yes, there's there's certainly a product approach, but I do think that we can round this out, right? And we can be a lot broader of a partner, right? And that's what I would hope to continue with going forward. One thing I do think for the future, because you asked about the future, um, scaling our technology to be able to to operate a little bit faster, right? Because one of the things, obviously, that every bank is going to get criticized is you move a little bit slower, right? I think we've done a lot of, of, of good work on the process side. From a technology side, I think there's there's still some work to be done, right? To be able to match the speed for which our partners want to run. I, I think we've had great partners and I think everybody's, you know, worked together to kind of get things done. But I think in the future, what would be really great is if we could start to incubate some of these, um, you know, high potential startups, right? It gives us an opportunity to kind of move away from like competitive takeaways. And now we've we've expanded our share of the market to be able to, bank both high potential startups, right? And have the infrastructure to be able to kind of support, you know, 10, 20 partnerships, right? In a year, um, while at the same time being a great place for, you know, kind of more mature companies who have outgrown some of their smaller partners and are looking for more of what we're providing, which is a relationship approach. So I think there's a lot of really good stuff coming down the pike for us. Um, but it's, uh, it's all exciting and it's all really good things. So it's interesting, as we're talking here, it comes to my thought process that, Really playing in the banking as a service arena is really pushing Webster to become a better digital bank, to become a more efficient bank, to innovate and and use more technology, you know, more advanced technology. So it's it really has made it so that you're being pushed to become a better you as an organization than you yep. might have had if you hadn't had the the banking as a service platform. 
I think that is a thousand percent correct, right? So what's what's interesting about it is you you kind of start off with these business lines where you've got a digital bank and then you've got banking as a service. And what we've started to see is that there's really an ecosystem at play, right? If you look at banking as a service, we're providing the opportunity for fintechs to offer banking services, right? We're doing that through the use of APIs, right? Mostly. And so when you think about that, we're creating an open banking platform over time, right? That's going to enable us to scale partnerships and connect in a much different way, right? Facilitate the transfer of information that becomes a value stream. And then when you look at what we're doing in platform banking, it's leveraging a lot of those same APIs or even a variation of those APIs to do the same thing in reverse, right? How can we connect you into our experience? We want to own the client experience, but we want to offer the products and services that these fintechs do. That leads us into digital banking, right? And so now we're almost using this as an incubation hub, right, where we can test and deploy new technologies to a subset of our clients, which then enables us to scale it across the larger organization. What's great about um, the scaled business, right, for, for Webster, we've got the HSA Bank, right, which has a huge client base, right? We've got the Consumer Distribution Network, which is very big, right, on the East Coast, um, and then we've got commercial, we've got small business, we've got ample opportunity to grow anything that we launch, right? And so what's great about it is all the banking as a service plays have enabled us to think differently about our business. What makes these fintechs successful? What products and services could we potentially consume? Incubate that technology and then bring it across the organization. It, it's a great ecosystem, right? The way that it works. And, and you're exactly right that we've kind of found a very good uh, working relationship between all these lines. And it's been very exciting. So it's interesting because really then support of the banking as a service platform really has made Webster much more future ready than they may have been simply going down the traditional route of improving everything they did in the old ways, you know, yeah, for sure. the old services. So can you share a few success stories around your banking as a service journey? Because again, most of my listeners aren't on that journey yet. They're just thinking about it. Can you share yep. a couple of the successes and where you'd maybe like to see your platform go in the future? Yeah, I think so. If, if we want to get specific customer related, right, I could kind of talk about our relationship with a company called BrightFi, right? Um, BrightFi is a financial technology company that's providing services basically to the underbanked, right? That's their target market, right? Which to us is hitting a, a very important segment for us as a business, right? And I think that that was one of the things that first attracted us to them. Um, but what's interesting about their business model is that they've kind of expanded to be really more of a platform provider. So they have a direct-to-consumer business. They also partner with other companies who want to provide these banking services to similar groups, right? So if you're a credit union that has like a, a demographic that you're looking to provide digital banking services to, you might not be able to produce that in-house, but they could partner with a BrightFi to be able to provide this technology at a fraction of a cost. Um, and and they've done some tremendous work, right? And, and the reason why I call them out as a great strategic partner is twofold, right? One is when we kind of found them, they were doing some work. They had, a, um, you know, kind of a different uh, banking partner. And one of the things that they talked about was, hey, look, we feel like we're just a number, right? We're, we're kind of a commodity. Um, I think we spent a lot of time invested talking with them about their business, learning their business, really thinking about ways that we could help them grow and expand their business. Um, and ultimately, it, it formed a great partnership, right? We ended up being their best sponsor, uh, their best sponsor, rather. But what's really great about it, I think, holistically, is we haven't just stopped at that, right? It's not like, hey, we launched a partnership with them and that was it. I I'm talking with the CEO of that company 
all the time about what are different ways that we can expand into different communities, right? So now we're talking about, is there some stuff that we can do within the micro business segment, right? Which we think is the underbanked of the business banking world, right? And so we're constantly looking at ways that we can continue to improve. Also, what I think is interesting is we've collaborated, right? So when you think about things like fraud, right there, there's opportunities for us to share our knowledge. And I think we've learned from each other, right? And they've made adjustments on their end. We've made adjustments on our end. It's been a true working partnership. And I think that is a testament to how successful it is. What I think is also great about it internally is that particular company got us to think differently about how we run our processes, right? So thinking about what is the way that they're doing KYC, right? What's a best in class solution look like? How are they approaching other uh, areas of fraud? How are they approaching the client experience? How are they uh, approaching things like biometrics, right? And using that as a way to kind of like connect differently with the clients. I think that we've looked at them and we've said, you know, what's interesting is we're the bank partner and we're supposed to have a lot of knowledge around the space and we do, but you guys are doing some very interesting things that I think we could adopt and expand on our side, right? And our BSA team has been very open and transparent about um, how they've enjoyed the partnership with that particular client. Um, and I think it's been a, a real two-way street, right? So like, if you multiply that example by a lot, I could name a, a bunch of different um, clients that we work with where it's been a similar experience, right? And so I think holistically, um, just having that as a sounding board and the ability to you know, kind of adopt some of their processes into ours and vice versa, it's really a two-way relationship. Um, and I think also the technology that we built is scalable for the entire organization, right? So the APIs that we're using for things like account opening, right, can be applied to other relationships, other form of banking, right? We want to do direct to consumer deposit gathering. We're able to use those APIs in a different use case, right? I was talking with our head of product the other day about some of the stuff that we're doing around money movement, right? Our wire APIs that can be used in a multitude of constructs, right? So I think everything that we're doing in Bass has a touch point to other points in the business. And we're really looking at it that way. And that's why I say it's very important. This is not a product approach for us, right? We're not looking at this and saying, hey, we just want to provide a deposit account. What we're looking at is how can we build an an infrastructure to be able to support what that that client needs, but then also use that in other areas of the business. And I think that's a different approach than potentially others are are taking to that problem. Yeah, it definitely really amplifies the innovation process on both sides. You know, you're getting, yep. you're providing, you're using your innovation for your partners, but your partners are also providing innovation for you. So it's a, it's a great give and take scenario. So exactly, we've been seeing a major shift in the way banking makes money. Um, we're seeing the deletion of some things that were typical fee generation items, but we're also seeing new ways to make money, especially when you're talking about open banking, open APIs. What do you see as the most likely revenue model in the future for financial institutions, or is it really going to differ from institution to institution? Yeah, I think, you know, what's interesting is, so when I was running products um, for, for Sterling, one of the areas that I thought was hugely untapped, at least for us, I know other places actually monetize this quite well, is this concept of information reporting, right? And, and I actually think that that is a very untapped potential within the banking as a service space, as well as just holistically across the organization, right? APIs facilitate the transfer of information, right? Which means you have data, right? Like, and and from that standpoint, when I think about what we could do, um, not only can we provide operations to folks, but we can provide data, right? And 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 data itself is is very important, right? And, and is valuable. 
But data and synthesis is actually quite valuable, right? So if we can find a way to figure out what's a way to replicate some of the things that we've done internally to help us, and we talked about this earlier, right? Examining, you know, kind of the experiences, really looking at, you know, how our products and services are resonating with our clients and mixing in both the actual voice of the customer with like actual tangible data that we get from operations. Um, if we can figure out a way to to package that in synthesis form, right, and help, you know, our clients on the bass side figure out how they can, you know, continue to monetize, continue to deepen relationships, I think that's very valuable, right? And I think what you're going to see over time is through the, through the use of APIs and open banking, right, you're going to get this wave of data as a service, right? Like everything's going to be as a service now, right? Card as a service, data as a service. But what I, what I think is really interesting about that particular approach is it's so valuable, right? If you can provide, you know, a BAS client that kind of information, you can do the same thing in commercial, you can do the same thing in small business, right? And if you're providing that kind of value to organizations, it comes at a premium, right? So you're going to get, you know, increased revenues that come from that. But man, does that deepen relationships, right? Now you're talking about, hey, you're not just, again, you're not just providing a product, you're providing a service that's actually helping me expand and grow my business. Um, I think that's the wave of the future, right? Where we're going to go and we're going to start seeing banks is really focusing on moving away from, you know, hey, I've got a really good private banking offering, right? Or I've got a really good, you know, um, service on the commercial side and really focusing on how do I deepen relationships with the use of data and synthesis? You know, it's interesting. A lot of the bankers I've met one-to-one in the last nine months have really had a challenge just keeping up with what's going on today. Mm -hmm. Um, I know from meeting with you that you're not satisfied with this. You're always pushing the envelope trying to say, you know, what's next on my list? So what is on, next on your to-do list in 2022 and maybe the beginning of 2023 with regards to what you really want to get accomplished? And on top of that, what recommendations do you provide to banks of all sizes as they start, start their or, or go through their digital banking transformation journey? Yeah, I think so. It's a great question, right? To your point, I'm never kind of resting on this, right? It's a, it's an evolving thing. Um one of the things I think we're we're doing that's quite interesting is this concept of credit card as a service, right? I, I personally think that the next phase of disruption that will come from from fintechs is really going to be in the consumer lending space. You're starting to see a lot of buy now, pay later. Um, and I think that card is no different, right? What people are looking for is, you know, financial education. If you think about that as compared to a debit card, right, it, it's, it's vastly superior in terms of a tool to be able to build you know, credit, right? And so I think that as folks get more educated and as fintechs kind of take on this concept of like educating uh, clients about what's the best use of financial tools for them, I think you're going to see disruption in that space. What we're trying to do is we're trying to get ahead of that, right? So building an infrastructure to be able to support fintech partnerships that want to issue cards in a variety of different fashions. Um, and I think in doing that, what it's done is, again, forced us to think differently about how we go to market with things internally, right? And so do we have the opportunity to kind of expand and deepen relationships by creating more opportunities for consumers to get credit with us? Um, I think we're also looking at the same thing on the business banking side, right? Like what are ways that we can deepen relationships through, you know, expansion to credit or expansion to different products and services, right? So I think the the big thing for us is continuing to innovate in the space, right? Looking at, you know, what are opportunities? I talked a little bit about some of the work that we're doing in blockchain 
Um, we, we join a consortium that kind of enables us to, to connect with like-minded banks to, to think through, you know, what are potential uses for blockchain? I think that's definitely the future, right? And so we're, we're actively looking at that, everything from, you know, um, lending on chain to, you know, tokenized um, use cases, right? I think there's, there's a lot of opportunity, right? And so I think for us, it's it continuing to understand how the space is moving, I think we've got great people that are constantly looking at, you know, what's trending in the space and what are some things that we need to be looking at. Um, and I think we're doing that, right? My, my advice to banks is, I think, you know, just don't be sleepy, right? Like the, the biggest thing is, you know, you look at the amount of penetration that fintechs have been able to, to kind of take on. Well, a large part of the reason for that is superior technology and connecting better with clients, right? Like actually, you know, kind of going and saying, what are you looking to do and solving a specific problem in a way that banks traditionally have not been able to do. So how do you compete against that? Right. I think you can partner, which is one of the things that we've been doing. Right. And I think it it proves our experience and it gives them the opportunity to build clients, which then gives us new clients. Right. Um, or you could sit and just say like, hey, look, like we're, we're going to rest on our laurels that, you know, we, we've just got a great reputation as a company. I think that's a recipe for disaster. I think oh, you do gosh, too, yes. right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think my biggest advice would be, you know, make sure you're continuing to follow the trends and look for opportunities to kind of innovate. Um, but then it all comes down to execution, right? You got to be in, in the position to be able to do it. We could talk about those all we want to. I think one of the things that, that Webster and before that Sterling has uh, you know, kind of continue to foster is this culture of execution, right? Like, it, it's actually interesting. I remember our CEO would say all the time, I don't care if you try and fail, I just care that you tried, right? Like, it's so like, if you have an idea, and you want to go about doing it, go about doing it, right? And you want to create a culture where people come with fresh ideas, and, and, and they can kind of get together in a room with people make a decision and kind of move. Um, and if it fails, it fails, right? You don't want to punish people for failing. What you want to do is incent people for actually trying, right? And I think some of those things will work, some things won't. Uh, but creating that culture uh, within any organization is, I think, vastly important. So that's that's a big one for, for us. Matt, thanks for being on the show today. It's always fun to talk to you and to catch up on where you're going. It's it's always changed. I, I know that if I wait three more months, you're going to be in a completely different place with yeah. everything you're working on. So Hopefully. thanks so much for being on the show today. No, thank you. I appreciate the time. This was great. Great connecting with you. Thanks for listening to Banking Transform, the most popular banking podcast in retail banking and the winner of three international awards for podcast excellence. If you enjoyed today's interview, please give our show a five-star rating on your preferred podcast platform. Also, be sure to catch my recent articles on the financial brand and the research we're doing for the Digital Bank Report. This has been a production of Evergreen Podcast. A special thank you to our producer, Leah Longbreak, audio engineer, Sean Roll Hoffman, and video producer, Will Pritz. I'm your host, Jim Roos. Until next time, remember... More than ever, financial institutions must redefine their value proposition in a rapidly changing marketplace. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. 
Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.